Where do you turn on your most desperate days when your heart's broken and you can't stop crying? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Those days when you don't want to get out of bed, where you're crying in a heap in the shower or on the way to work. And why are we so afraid of our tears? You know, we in the U.S. are terrible at expressing our grief and sorrow, especially publicly. I mean, think about it. Whenever you hear somebody speaking or or giving a sermon and they start crying, what do they do? They apologize. It's not like this everywhere in the world. And it certainly wasn't like that for people in the Bible. Man, those people knew how to mourn and weep and wail. In the Psalms, we find words for when life hurts. Hi, friend. You're listening to Find Hope Here. I'm your host, Teresa Whiting, author, speaker, ministry leader, friend, and fellow struggler. This is a podcast about the messy, complicated, painful parts of life, but also the beautiful, joy-filled hope that Jesus promises. Each week, we dig deep into God's Word together and talk about how His truth impacts our everyday lives. I'm not going to ask you to sit with me and have coffee because I seem to have my best conversations while I'm just doing life. So I'd love to hang out with you as you walk or fold laundry or drive to work. You're invited to join me in pursuing the hope God promises. No matter where you are or where you've been, I pray you always find hope here. Let's jump in to today's episode. Welcome to episode 16, Hope for When Life Hurts, Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is a psalm of lament. And before I jump into teaching the psalm, I want to talk a little bit more about what the lament psalms are. There's different types of psalms in the Bible. You know, we love the psalms of celebration and praise and thanksgiving and wisdom. And I think we sometimes shy away from the Psalms of Lament. A Psalm of Lament was a poetic hymn meant to be sung to God. They express intense emotions, real struggles, anguish of the heart and soul. Martin Luther was a Protestant reformer in the 16th century, and he wrote this. He said, what is the greatest thing in the Psalter? And the Psalter is just another way to say um, the collection of Psalms. But this earnest speaking amid the storm winds of every kind, where do you find deeper, more sorrowful, more pitiful words of sadness than in the Psalms of lamentation? There again, you look into the hearts of the saints as into death, yes, as into hell itself, when they speak of fear and hope. They use such words that no painter could so depict for your fear or hope, and no Cicero or other orator has so portrayed them. And they that speak these words to God and with God, this, I repeat, is the best thing of all. There are typically four parts to a psalm of lament. The first is the address. Basically, it's crying out to God. The second part is the complaint. Yes, you heard me right. I said complaint. So often we are afraid to express our grief or our complaint to God. We feel like, oh, but that's God. I I can't complain. 
But he knows already. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows the pain. He knows the frustration, the anger. I just finished um, a retreat last weekend where I was teaching through the book of Ruth. And I love Naomi. I love her honesty. I love that she was able to say out loud to all her friends, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter because the hand of the Almighty has gone against me. I mean, she kind of let it all out, the the frustration and the disappointment that she had with God. And he didn't rebuke her. Similar to Job. You know, when Job went through his anguish and the terrible, terrible losses that he endured, he cried out to God. He complained to God. And guess what? God can handle it. He doesn't always answer our questions, and he certainly doesn't answer them in the way that we would like. Often what he does is he reveals more of himself to us. Anyway, the second part of a psalm of lament is complaint. The third part is a petition or a request. It's asking God help. Sometimes it's just a cry for help. God, this is what I need from you. This is what I'm asking of you. And then the last part, typically they end with words of assurance or affirmation of trust in God or expressing confidence in God's character. Most of them end with praise, not all. I mean, some Psalms of Lament are just sad. (laughs) They're just sad all the way through, even to the end. But today we're going to look at Psalm 42, and I'm going to read it from the ESV. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, From Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And as I typically do, I'm going to go through verse by verse and talk about this psalm. We've been talking about the woman at the well. And that woman had so much sorrow in her life. You know, she had been married five times, and we don't know if she lost her husbands to death or to divorce. But whatever the reason, there would have been grief and sorrow and anguish for a woman 
who had been married five times and was now living with a man who was not her husband. We talked about how she came to the well thirsty. And this psalm opens up with those words, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God. So by instinct, a deer is thirsty. It longs for, it seeks out flowing streams. It looks for water. And just like that deer, that instinct, we too are made to crave God. We are made with a thirst for him. Our souls long for him. It's not even something we have to invent. You know, we talked about broken cisterns in the episode about the woman at the well. Often we try to take that thirst and satisfy it with other things that don't work. And eventually we realize, you know what? I'm still thirsty. And this thing that I've been pursuing, it's not satisfying me. And that's because nothing can satisfy that that thirst for God, except for God himself. He is our living water. In John 4, Jesus told the woman that anyone who thirsts can come to me and I will give him rivers of living water from inside of him or her. In Isaiah 55, God says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk, incline your ear, come to me and hear that your soul may live. God in the Old Testament is offering himself as living water. And then in John 7, 37, Jesus was at a feast and he stood up and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The end of verse two says, when shall I come and appear before God? There is this longing in us to be in God's presence. We we were made to be with him all through the Bible. It talks about being with God, God being with us. Don't fear because I'm with you. And there's a desire in us to be with him and to be face to face with him. If you think about the garden, Adam and Eve were face to face with God. They were in his presence. And when they were deceived and when they sinned, they hid. And they were at once not in God's presence anymore. But that's what we were made for. And so that's what we long for. Verse three says, my tears have been my food day and night. Oh, you guys, I I relate to this so much. When I am in a really hard place or discouraged or I'm going through a painful season, I can't eat. Like day and night, my food is tears. I don't eat. I lose my appetite. I know other people kind of sometimes go the other way and they just want to eat. I'm not one of those people. And maybe that was the psalmist's situation. Maybe he just could not even think about food. And I think about the woman at the well, and I imagine she had days and nights where her only food were her tears, where her only food was her tears. Were her tears? Was her tears? I don't know. You know what I mean, though. And so have you, right? What are your pain points? What are the things in your life that have fed you with tears day and night? Was it divorce, abuse, illness, past mistakes and regrets, relational pain, the loss of a loved one? It's something. None of us escapes the pain and the brokenness of this world. 
we all go through seasons of pain. The end of verse three says, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And I'm, I think that the psalmist is referring to his enemies, but I also think it could be even our tears, that our tears could speak to us and be saying, where is your God? Sometimes when we are in a desperate place, we start questioning, where is God? I mean, does he even care? Does he even know? Does he know what's going on in my life? The questions come from within and they come from without. They come from other people and they come from Satan and they come from our own minds. In verse four, the psalmist says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them. So he starts talking about the good old days. Like I used to be joyful and full of praise and celebration. I used to worship with others. And like, I don't even remember those days. I can't remember what that's like. And then he goes into this refrain in verses five and six, which he repeats in verse 11 and also repeats at the end of Psalm 43, which I think potentially is a continuation of Psalm 42, but we're just looking at Psalm 42. And this is the refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That idea of being cast down, it literally means depressed. Why are you depressed, O my soul? It means to bow down or crouch or sink. And whenever I read that, I think of the times when I'm like in a heap in the shower. I don't know what it is about the shower. Maybe it's the water. Um, But that's a time where I feel like I am just free to cry. And sometimes I'm just like in a heap, crouched down, bowed down, crying. And then he says, and why are you in turmoil? That idea of turmoil means to be, to murmur or growl or roar. It's this internal angst, this internal struggle that is so painful. And then he says this, hope in God. That word hope means to wait expectantly. Wait expectantly for God, for I shall again praise him. In other words, it's not always going to be this way. Sometime in the future, I am going to praise God again. And here's something really fascinating. That last phrase, um, my salvation and my God is how it's translated in the ESV. But the literal translation in Hebrew is for the help of his countenance or his face. The salvation of his face is what it literally means. I shall again praise him for the salvation that I receive when I am face to face with him. That image of being face to face with God is all through the scripture. And that's how the story ends, you guys. At some point, we are going to be face to face with him again, and he is going to wipe every last tear from our eyes. But I want to camp out for just a minute on verse five, because he says, why are you cast down hoping God? Do you see what the psalmist is doing? Okay. He acknowledged his feelings. He acknowledged his despair he complained to God. He cried out to God, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just listen to his heart. He talked to his heart. You can call this self-counsel. You can talk, call this, you can call this talking to yourself. I don't know what you want to call it, but I think the world kind of misses this. The world tells us 
to listen to our hearts. Okay. Okay. I can see that part. I can say, I am going to acknowledge my pain. I am not going to ignore it or cover it up or shove it down or press it or squeeze it or keep it inside, which is what kind of we've been taught to do, right? Because the Psalms are full of lament. Scripture is full of people expressing their pain to God. He can handle it. Job, Naomi, the psalmists, sometimes they rage at God. Sometimes they express disappointment, frustration, anger, despair. They let it out and they don't stuff it in. And we as Christians are missing out. I read a book a few years ago, which was so fabulous. I'll put it in the show notes. It's called No More Faking Fine. And the woman was telling her own story, but she was also talking about how we have lost touch with the language of lament and how that's such a vital part of who we are. It's it's a vital part of who God created us to be. And so we need to get back in touch with the idea that it's okay to grieve and to mourn and to weep and even to do it out loud. As a matter of fact, out of all the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms and 58 of them, which is more than one third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. 42 of them are personal lament Psalms. In other words, that's a person crying out to God. And 16 of them are community. They're songs for a nation in crisis. I mean, the Israelites knew how to cry out to God together, not just in their own little houses, in their own little closets, in their own little showers, but together they would cry out to God. And we as a church, we're missing it. We have not done that well. I think that's because in in the US at least, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable when somebody's you know, crying or weeping or we, we just we just want everything to be good and fine and happy all the time. But man, in the in the days of the Bible, they would tear their clothes and pour ashes on their head and they would weep and wail. And we'd be like, oh, that's really uncomfortable. We don't we don't want to be in that situation. But that's part of life too. Celebration and weeping. Praise and lament. It's all part of life. At the end of verse five, he says, my soul is cast down within me. In other words, I'm depressed. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from Mount Mazar. Basically, he's going from the place of self-examination, realizing, okay, I'm in a dark place to self-counsel. I am choosing God to remember you. I'm choosing to put my mind, instead of just leaving it where it is in this deep, dark place, I'm choosing to lift my eyes to you. Does that mean everything's fine now and good and happy? No, but it's a choice. It's a saying, I'm going to set my mind not on just my own pain and the things that are happening in my life, but I am going to remember you, God. I'm going to focus on who you are. Verse seven, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And I I personally think this is symbolic of just that feeling of overwhelm, feeling like you're drowning in grief, 
like you're caught under the waves. If you've ever been to the ocean and a wave takes you out and you're just tumbling around under the water and you can't get your head above water. The psalmist is saying, this is what I feel like. I feel like I can't get my head above water. But then listen to verse eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's reminding himself of the truth that God's steadfast love, that hesed love, that mercy, compassion, tenderness, kindness, it's with me during the day. And at night, his song is with me. Do you remember what he said at the beginning of the psalm? My tears have been my food day and night. And now he's saying, by day, the Lord commands his love. And by night, his song is with me. In other words, even though I'm in tears day and night, and even though I'm questioning and I'm being questioned, where's your God? I can remember, I can remind myself that God is with me. His song is with me. Even if I'm in pain, sometimes I'm singing through the pain, in the pain. But God is with me and his song is with me. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? He's asking honest questions. And God is not afraid of our honesty. We are in a battle and we have an enemy. And he's going to lie to us. And he's going to oppress us. And we are part of it too is just that we're living in a broken world and we are going to suffer. Verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Again, this taunt of the enemy, it's its like I feel the physical effects. We are holistic beings. And so when our spirit is struggling, when our heart is struggling, our bodies will feel the effects. The, the word in Hebrew is with a breaking of my bones. So this is not just an emotional struggle. This is now turned into a physical struggle. And that makes perfect sense because God created us as holistic beings. And again, it talks about the enemies saying all day long, where's your God? Where's your God? Where's your God? It's not even like it happens once. It's it's a constant questioning. It's a constant doubt. And then again, self-counsel, verse 11 Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The salvation of my face and my God. That idea of hoping in God, reminding ourselves this situation is not going to last forever. Talking to ourselves, talking to our souls, counseling ourselves with the truth. And you know what? If we don't know God's word, We can't counsel ourselves with it. It's so important for us to be in God's word, reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, getting it into our hearts and our minds, because sometimes we don't have access to it. It could be we're on a walk or we're driving in the car and those those darts are coming. Those enemy arrows are flying and we need to have God's word in our heart that we can fight those lies and we could speak the truth over our hearts and over our souls and our minds. And when we do that, it might not take the pain away. We might still be crying hard and often, but we can be confident that one day we will again 
praise God. We will sing songs. We will celebrate with him and he will rescue us. He will be our salvation when we see him face to face. I want to circle back at the end here to verse one, as the deer pants for the water. In our brokenness, in our desperation, in those seasons when we are consumed with tears and we cry day and night, when life hurts and it feels like God has abandoned us, we can do these three things that we learn from Psalm 42. First of all, we can allow ourselves to grieve. We can express our frustration with honest words. We can pour out our soul. We can say to God, why have you forgotten me? What's going on? Why is this happening? I don't like this. In that honest expression, we can pay attention to our bodies. How is this struggle affecting me physically? Sometimes our bodies will give us messages even and tell us things about what's going on inside our souls. Second, we can counsel ourselves. Not just listen to ourselves, but talk to ourselves. Sometimes it helps to think of it this way. How would I counsel a friend in a similar situation? If somebody came to me looking for comfort and encouragement because of something that they were going through, what truth would I point them to? How would I encourage them? And then be that kind of friend to yourself. Tell yourself that counsel and that honest truth about who God is. Remind yourself who God is. Remind yourself of his character and his hesed, his steadfast love that never fails. And then number three, we can hold on tenaciously to hope. Hold on to hope, my friends. We will again praise him for the salvation of his face. Next week, we are going to be talking about the woman who was caught in adultery. It is an amazing story about how God's grace and his truth pour out on this guilty woman. I hope you'll tune in and I hope you'll tell a friend about it. Thanks for hanging out with me today on Find Hope Here. To find anything I mentioned on the episode, go to teresawhiting.com slash listen That's where you can find all the show notes. And remember to hit that subscribe button. If you want to go the extra mile and leave a review, that would be amazing and it would mean so much to me. I'd like to leave you with this prayer from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.